0: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Edge of Fear podcast, hosted by Liz Basil-Lewison at Liz Without a Pillow. Each week, I'll be bringing you some different insights, lessons, and laughs with an end goal of a more empowered and authentically happier human race. Everybody's got a story, and everybody's story is important. Let's do this. Hi,
1: everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Edge of Fear podcast. I'm so excited about my guest today. I have another classmate of mine from college. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, yeah. My name is Allie McEnberg. So I knew Liz whenever we
2: both attended statements in college together. She was the cool senior, and I was like the weird sophomore freshman. (laughs) <laughs> that when we met, I feel like I knew you your freshman year. I was a freshman, but I think you were a junior or a senior.
1: I can't remember. I feel like we were not that far apart. What year did you graduate? 12, yeah. thirteen yeah, so we're two years apart. okay yeah, so, yeah. that's what I thought I thought like, you, were you
2: were in the senior when I was uh sophomore
1: right, when you started to like really hang out. That's true, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was pretty cool back then. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Allie and I just reconnected two weeks ago via Facebook. She posted something about mental health, and I thought that it would be really, really exciting to talk about here on the podcast with you guys. And so she and I haven't really spoken in a very long time, and I would like to learn a little bit about you also. So if you want to just give us like a quick rundown about where you're at right now. So
2: currently I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. About a year ago, my father passed away, and I was living in New York City and I was wondering where I was going to go next, literally environmentally. His death kind of allowed me to move forward and move back to Pittsburgh, and make that choice. But I was in New York City for about four years. I was pursuing my Master's of Fine Arts in Creative Writing and Literary Translation, a really long name, but a very sh- it seemed like a very short time that I was in New York City. And before that, I I lived in, let's see, I went to St. Vincent before that and got my undergrad there. I got two degrees, English and a Spanish literature degree. I was born and raised in Butler, PA, which is a wonderful place. They have this like annual demolition derby and I'm still obsessed with it. So I at least try to go back once a year. I like to think that I'm kind of transforming into just an advocate in general. And advocacy has been really a primary focus of how I'm going to move forward with my life, whether it be advocacy for certain housing markets and people who are in crises or advocacies for women. So I'm inspired by a lot of things just in, in my daily life. I'm inspired by psychology. I love researching what makes you men human, why we think the way we do. I also am really into yoga. That's kind of been a transformative practice for me. And I have a dog named Ruby. She's super cute. And I was Love telling it. Liz earlier, if you hear any weird noises, my dog, she sounds <laughs> like an
1: old lady when she coughs. We accept you just as you are. So
2: yeah, and also I'm taking some stand-up comedy classes right now, which is kind of surprising to me. I just figured, why the hell not? Just how can yeah. you do it? And so a lot of people have been like, you're funny, you should do it. And I'm like, okay, let's see. So yeah, I'm kind of using my writing skills towards stand-up right now, but I also write a lot of poetry. I also write some journalistic kind of things. I still try to work on translations, but nothing at the present moment.
1: Yeah, I think that kind of describes me. Yeah, I think it it definitely does. I think you did a great job describing yourself. (laughs) So a couple of things that I want to take note of. The first is with your father's death. I'm so sorry to hear that. I feel like so often, I mean, and especially in like our late 20s, we start to be able to have some like control of our life. And when things that are like uncontrollable happen, it really like puts things in perspective. So you said that that was kind of the catalyst for you moving back home. Yeah. So I mean, that is really interesting that you really started to kind of change your path. And then the other thing that I really want to talk about is, which I don't know how much you want to talk about it, but like the stand-up comedy and getting to use your writing and your, your schooling and your skills in such a very different way, I think, than even you had anticipated, which is really cool. And I think originally I went, I was at St. Vincent for Psychology, but I switched my major to Anthropology and I have like joked in the last decade that I never used my degree once, but in the last like year or three, I have. Like I use anthropology every single day of my life. Like I'm an empath to the core. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and I use this degree so much more than I really, really thought. I mean, I thought like I'm either gonna be like working in a museum or an (laughs) archaeologist, and like that's it. And it's just it's so much broader Mm -hmm. than that. So when you choose something that you love, even if you don't do it right away, I mean, I think this is really like for young people who are like not sure what they want to do in college and things like that, but like choose something that like lights you up because You'll get to use
2: it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I kind of went through this. As I I stated earlier, I do suffer from depression and anxiety. And that's a whole other conversation that we will probably get to. But (laughs) depression to me, since my father passed away, has been a huge component of my life. Whether I want to admit that or not, I'm slowly kind of coming to terms with that and being like, yes, this is okay. This is my human experience. This is something that I have suffered through and it's something that makes me who I am and stronger because of that. But I'd like to speak about particularly this interesting area of after you finish a degree and how that can be shaped by the mental strife that you're kind of experiencing in other areas of your life so the way that translates for me is that I finished my MFA degree and I was like what the fuck do I do next right because when I was in undergrad I was like oh my god I love English literature I love Spanish this lights me up let's move forward right I got into like a lot of translation work with some Cuban activist writers who I and I thought it was just again with my kind of preoccupation with advocacy, I thought it was something that I really wanted to move forward with in my life. And you know, you get those comments along the way that are like, how is this going to make you any money? Where are you going to go after your MFA degree? What are your goals? And I was like, I just want to go and get my MFA degree. And I just want to be there with other like-minded people. People who who are working on writing, people who are working on improving themselves, which is like something that I love about education, and especially higher master's degree and like PhD educations, is that you're working with people who are really focused on being there and improving themselves. So we talked about earlier undergrad, kind of like how sometimes you'll be in class with people who really don't want to be there, and so it's it's a wonderful experience to put yourself into a master's or a PhD program if you. Had the urge to do it, I would definitely suggest doing it because I have learned so much about myself through this degree. And like you were saying earlier, you joke that you haven't really used it, but I was talking to my therapist the other day and she was on the same page with you, she was like, think about how your MFA program has just actually shaped you as an individual, right? Right. How it shapes your outlook on the world when you're walking down the street mm-hmm. or when you're taking your dog for a walk or when you're at the grocery store or when you're buying books or when you're buying things for your apartment. And I was like, oh, my God, you're so right. This has right. totally shaped me in a way that I didn't even give myself credit for. Right. So – Back to the depression thing, you know, my my father, I've, I've struggled with depression and anxiety my whole life. And it's definitely been something that has shaped me as a human being. So after my father passed away, I was like, here we go. I know it's gonna come back. I know my depression is gonna come back and I know my anxiety is gonna come back. And I can only
1: imagine how fucking shitty this shit is all we get. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? It's kind of like it's almost laughable. Like once it's yeah. already happened, like two and three and five and a hundred times, because you're mm-hmm. like, oh, it's coming. It's only a matter of. I'm just in this happy wave right now. Yeah. It's not real. Yeah, it's. it's so it's not like funny, this it's
2: train's bad, like but. slowly. This train's like slowly approaching from the distance. You can hear the little like. Boop, boop. Right. I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay, so my dad just died. So after I finished my degree, I was working in real estate, which I thought was very random. Like it was nothing that I really wanted to do. But in a way, the position really shaped me as a person as well. And it was kind of like unexpected. I was working as an administrative assistant for Douglas Ellison Real Estate, which is like Manhattan's number one real estate company. I was like super busy. I had to talk right. to a lot of different people on a daily basis. So it became a nice way to pass my time. But I, that's when the guilt started coming through. This is These are my thoughts. I spent all of this money on my MFA degree. I'm literally sitting here in New York City like not really liking the city because it was to the point where I was nearing my four years was starting to come take of the city right so depression starts creeping through that way just from environmental of environmental perspective I would sit on the train and kind of just look around and be like what the Fuck am I doing here That's and doing. That,
1: I, like, I, hit, I hit that point in Boston like around like three four years also my deployment split it but when I got back I was like I don't want to be here anymore Nothing yeah. against the city but I'm I've grown I've outgrown it I'm done I need to go somewhere else I'm ready for a change
2: yeah and Boston and New York City are like lovely in the fact that they are completely overpriced so <laughs> it's a beautiful thing That's another thing that I loved about (laughs) So yeah, I was kind of in this weird stagnant place in New York. And I was like, I know I want to move forward. um, But I don't know how. And I don't know, like, what the fuck to do. Because my father and I had a really interesting relationship. Sometimes it was really good. And sometimes I was like, this person is so toxic. I need to remove them from my life completely. Like, it was either, like, one or the other. So I had, I really wanted to move back to Pittsburgh, but I had reservations about moving back to Pittsburgh because my dad was there because he was kind of like a toxic, he had become kind of more of a toxic force in my life. So right. I said, like, do you move back to the city that I love and it's my home, but then I would kind of be surrounded by toxicity or right. do I go do I go somewhere else? So I was really close to transferring to Delray in Southern Florida with my job. Wow. I was like this close. And I was like, I need the beach. It'll not make me depressed and it'll make me feel great. Yeah. A little, a little
1: vitamin D to, to clear out the depression. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And the winters in New York city aren't terrible, but they're pretty fucking bad. Yeah. They're not great. Um, so I was just like, I got to get out of here. So I almost moved down there. Something kind of flopped with the management down there. They kind of took longer than I thought they were going to. And I, they acted like I kind of had time to like wait around to change my life. And I wanted to like know exactly what was happening, what date I'd be moving down there. And they kept right. kind of bringing me along. So I was like,
1: I mean, very reasonable requests when they're, you're about to move across the country. Like I'd like to know a little bit about it. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, I don't understand where right. these
2: people like get away with having this job. But um, I was gonna say,
1: I'm like very accustomed to being strung along. The army, like literally, the motto is "hurry up and wait." So you have to turn in all your paperwork. You have to take care of everything on your <laughs> end, 110 percent. Like you have to do all of it, and then you literally just wait and wait and wait and wait. Yeah. And wait, and wait. For, like, six months sometimes, three months, a year, never. I had never happened quite a few can times. We just, can
2: we just say that that is, like, life just in general? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's
1: like The army was a really good metaphor for me for life. The worst, all of the best and the worst of it. It was, like, a good, like, <laughs> it was a good metaphor of life because – I mean, you're, you're in the bubble of these are my best friends and I love this so much and this is so great. And then you're also in this bubble of this is a freaking disaster and nothing is working. Why is this machine even running? Like it doesn't work at all.
2: Oh my God, I can only imagine. (laughs) Um, <laughs> but yes, I know it's like that's so funny. Like, why is this machine not working? I feel like that's another question, just like about life. Like, why yeah, is this lit- life
1: not working? What is going on? Like, with this all machine? of life is kind of like that. Like, that's like a, a, a microcosm of life. Yeah. We're all giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and going and going and going, but like not really going anywhere. So, mm-hmm. hopefully, this okay. podcast will help us get somewhere. Yeah, it can definitely seem
2: like that. So, uh, my father. Sort of right around the time that I decided I was like, maybe I'm not going to be moving to Delray. He unexpectedly passed. So um, he had been struggling with chronic pain, addiction, and mental illness probably my since I was, well, he's been struggling with addiction his whole life. The chronic pain started coming in around age 18. So. When you were 18 or when he was? When,
1: sorry, when I was 18. Okay, I was like, that's really young.
2: Okay, I know. Was,
1: no, but still, I mean, well, our parents aren't, you know, I mean, I don't know how old your parents are, but when I was 18, my parents were only like 40 something. So okay. yeah, and my dad died when he was 65. Oh,
2: <sighs> yeah, I'm so sorry, <clears throat> Thanks. But yeah, so he died of a brain bleed and he had been... A brain, I'm sorry, a brain what? A brain bleed. A brain so, bleed. Yeah, he he fell and hit his head essentially, and you know, kind of. I don't know. I guess like the blood kind of just saturated
1: the brain, which sounds really gross. Like, I think that's like sl- like he fell like a while before he passed from that, or we don't really know. Um, wow, we don't know how long he was laying there
2: um, before he passed. Oh my god! Oh, yeah, I'm he so lived sorry. alone. Yeah, thank you. He lived alone, and. Um, So, you know, there's, there's not a lot of, I don't really feel guilty, but there's just a lot of, a lot of wondering, you know, how long he lay there, like, could this have been prevented by someone or something, or, you know, maybe if we were keeping a better watch on him, like, maybe he wouldn't have passed. And he... The autopsy, I can't remember if it's, it's called an autopsy or what, but it's like the, the test that they do to see what kind of drugs were in his system. I think it was the autopsy, yeah. but he had like elevated amounts of drugs that he wasn't prescribed. Wow. Um, they were like pretty serious drugs. So we were like, okay, so he's getting these things from, from we don't know who. So four months before that, he had just gotten out of an assisted living home. He was doing great there. He was there for about a year. Wow. And so we were like super optimistic about his mental health, his addiction. We were super optimistic about his chronic pain going away. So this was kind of a shock to us. Wow. Um, and he died in April. So I guess it's been probably like a year and a half almost since he passed, but I hadn't seen him since Christmas. So, you know, there is that guilt where, like, I didn't see my father, but months before that, before he passed, and so I wish I could have just, you know, I was, the number one thing that I just kept saying over and over again after he passed was just, I wish I could have, like, said goodbye and I could have given him a hug. You know, that's all, that's all I wanted to do. So, that was a huge shock to my system, to my world. I remember when my sister called me to tell me my dad had passed. I was on my way to work, on my way to the real estate job. And I kind of just crumbled as a person. And I called my good friend and he came over and sat with me for a little bit. And then I immediately had to fly home. And then since then my life drastically changed. Right. You know, and with, with depression, I don't know if you can relate to this, but there's almost this like strange sense of relief when something bad happens to you because you know that you're feeling bad for a reason?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I can't like necessarily pinpoint exactly uh, an experience that I've had like that, but I definitely know that when personally, when I'm in a, I, I call it darkness In episode one, I talk about it. But when I'm in a period of darkness, it feels like all of the good that I feel, all of the joy that I feel is bullshit. So I can, I can relate to feeling relieved that something bad happened because it's like, okay, this is, this is where I'm actually at. This is where I'm feeling. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
2: And that's kind of, that's kind of weirdly like a component of what happened after he passed, but it obviously was not the, like the imperialistic kind of like, feeling that I had, but, and I, before my dad had passed I was kind of struggling with some alcohol issues as well. And so after he had passed, I didn't even want to like touch alcohol because it was just for some reason I knew it just wouldn't do me any good. So like I was whether I want to admit it, like I feel like the depression is kind of like always there. It's just like hiding out or isn't. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so at this point after my father passed away, I'm literally I'm literally thinking like I am as far from wanting to pick up a pen. In paper and actually write things down and be a creative person mm-hmm. um, and use my mfa and just kind of like work on poetry or work on fiction like this is not what i want to do right now right i have so much soul searching and like meaning to find out from everything that you know i i think i carried i carried that feeling forward into just recently actually so you know it's been about a year and a half since my dad passed and i just couldn't even think of like creatively writing at all i felt not this like dead zone but it almost kind of felt that way creatively and not to like toot my own horn or anything but I, th- I hate that fucking expression it's so ridiculous <laughs> but but I think I'm like a pretty good writer I have an MFA under my belt I have really wonderful professors who I've worked with that have like changed the course of like literary history and progress so there is that guilt as well I so I felt this like depression about about unsadness about my father passing and then I had this guilt over not using my degree. And I realized that I'm a perfectionist and I put way too much pressure on performance. And I started reading the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving, not giving, a, giving fuck, a Fuck. Yeah. Which most, I feel like a, a lot of people have read that, but a lot of people need to read that. Like I saw one right. girl on the beach one day recently, like when I went to the King. She was like reading the book and I was like, oh, it makes me happy that other people are reading that. Yeah.
1: There's like hope for humanity.
2: Yeah. 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 There's hope for humanity. So that book is really about like how do our anxieties kind of speak <laughs> to our values? Right. And I realized that whether I like to admit it or not, I kind of had this like value of kind of, which I think a lot of us do. A lot of us, especially like the social media culture value the worth that other people place in them rather than the worth that they feel themselves. Right. We need that validation, that external validation. Exactly. And so I started asking myself and like, okay, so why do I feel guilty about not using my MFA? And I'm like thinking, oh my, right away I thought about my professors and I, and I was like, these people are probably judging me that I am not using my writing skills or these people who I went to school with are probably like judging me, judging, 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 judging. Right. 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 Uh, And so I was just, I kind of like reassessed what the hell that all meant in my life. And I kind of through a long, a long process of like self exploration. I was like, you can't, basically my number one thing I took away from, from that is that you can't force yourself to be ready to do something if you're not actually honestly there and so i have faith that like i'll start up that that novel that i want to write i'll start up that collection of poetry when i'm ready to right and i shouldn't feel guilty for being where i'm at right and It's easy to say, but it's not so easy to
1: feel all the time. To actually not have that guilt to actually get rid of that. Yeah, it's huge.
2: And I don't know if you can relate at all with your degree as well. I know a lot of people who have just completely veered off from the direction of their degree and have like a program manager position at a business and they went to school for like education. Right. Or they, you know, they went to school for musical theater and they're literally doing nothing with it. and like it you know, this sounds like such a trivial thing, but so many of so many people in our generation feel pressure to to kind of not conform themselves into that box that has been so, sort of like predetermined for them since senior year of high school. Like you have to decide on a major, like as soon as you go into college, you have to get that job right after you get, get out of college or else you're worthless. And there are just so many other avenues in your life that give you so much worth. And I think that's super important to realize And it's also really important to just, to just be honest with yourself and meet yourself where, where you are. And so that to me, was kind of like a thing recently. I was like, I need to take a step back and meet myself where I'm at because I've been struggling really badly lately with depression and anxiety. And I was like, instead of forcing myself to be better, be better, be better, be perfect all the time. I just need to take an honest step back and meet myself where I'm at and kind of move forward from that place and that space, which is a very special and honest place, yeah. And so, yeah, these are these are just the the rantings of my latest attainment of wisdom, <laughs> I guess it's you perfect. could say. But yeah,
1: yeah, but yeah, so. I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this. I know that I can certainly relate to this, and I think that I mean, I have I have currently still with the podcast. Under nine hundred followers on Instagram. Like I am scared shitless every day that I have to go on and like show my face on camera. It's still scary to come into an episode and like we're winging it. How much of this was planned? Like we talked about stuff that we might talk about, but how much of that are we actually talking about? You know what I mean? So so far yeah. zero. Literally like none of it. Um, <laughs> and, and so that's and that's how this is going. So it's it's very very scary. So that perfectionist side of me that I think, I mean, obviously all type A people have it, but I think like a lot of us really have that. And I took a personal professional development class, um, a little over a month ago now, the landmark forum, and I'm going back for the advanced course this weekend, actually tomorrow. I'm so excited. Um, very thanks. Yeah, really excited. It's a big step to kind of like, to, to take a step toward yourself. Yeah, really Like, like self-awareness. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. But I, I really learned in that class is even people who are not perfectionists, we all have this need to look good. It's that external validation that we we're saying, and it's, it's a need to look good. So whatever looking good looks like for you. So for some people looking good yeah. means, so we all have our own definition. So for some people looking good means like physically staying fit, for some people, it means their hair and makeup is never out of a, a hair off. For some people, it means being able to cook for their family five days a week. For some people, it means working extra hard and extra late at work and like being good for their teachers or their whatever bosses. So looking good doesn't necessarily mean physically looking good or putting out an episode a week or two poems a week or a book every... Like we all have different versions of perfectionism and letting go of that because i was ready for it in this last season for me was monumental like yeah. the the edge of fear moments that i have now every day because i'm pushing through them every day has been just so huge for me and i totally am with you on needing to respect that space and that time because last year when my ex and i broke up last spring somewhere around the time that your father passed away it was like okay Mm -hmm. this is hard. This is dark. This is going to be a couple of months now to get through this and figure shit out. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, moved into a new apartment and I loved my roommates and it was lots of really great things. Yeah. But there was also a lot of really dark, hard stuff being alone for the first time in a really long time, you know, in a city that had been mine for four years, four and a half years, but felt so foreign. Suddenly everything was different. And I really needed to take that time and that space. And so I took, you know, the four months I stayed in Boston, and then I decided to resign from my job. And then I went and traveled and I backpacked for three months. So it took me like, eight or nine months before I even started the blog back in January. And it was, I didn't if you would have asked me even in the first seven months of those eight months post breakup, if you had asked me if I would be starting a blog or a podcast or an Instagram or literally any of that, I would have said, not a fucking chance. This is like my private story. (laughs) And this is my personal journey. And I'm just soul searching and I'm just reflecting. But I took that time and I There was no pressure on me to do anything. I mean, I knew I was leaving Boston. I was going to travel. And then I was going to move back in with my parents for a little while until I figured out my next move. So that was like my backup plan was I was going to move back in with my parents, which here I am. This is my childhood bedroom behind me <laughs> I love it. thanks this is the dresser um, so far I've just really seen the dresser which yeah is dresser. Is I'm not going to show you the rest it's a mess <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was it was like so important to honor that space and that time that you needed and in order to get past the guilt of I'm not using my degree or I'm wasting, I I would always say that I'm like wasting my, I wasted my ex-boyfriend's time because we were together for so long that I wasted his time. And to get past all of that, I needed to come to terms with, what was important to me. So earlier you were talking about like being honest with yourself and like trusting your intuition and really asking yourself, like, what do I need? And I found that during my soul searching time, my three months in Europe, really. I mean, it started, I guess, in the summer before that I kind of started reading. I didn't read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, actually, but I've heard it from a bajillion people and I know that I need to read it. But I read The Book Attached and I read The Universe Has Your Back and all Wash Your face and all of these all of these books that like kind of started me on my journey I started listening to podcasts and I started to like slowly motivate myself and like slowly slowly as I needed to like bring myself to terms with okay I'm ready to do this thing now so I was doing all of those things and then I went off on my own and then I did the soul searching and there was no reading there was no podcasting I don't even think I had my headphones in once in three months like I was like fully present to everything that was going on because that's what my soul needed I did a lot of journaling but it was like shitty first draft stream of consciousness journaling like there's no judgment in journaling right exactly it was like it was I was just free writing and it was so therapeutic and it had that had been after like years of not writing anything um And I I will like go through spurts, I would say maybe once every like two years, maybe every three years, sometimes it'll be once a year, but I'll go through spurts where I'll journal for like weeks or months. And then I won't journal for literally years. So, so it was the same exact way. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people who enjoy writing are that way because mm-hmm. it feels like just another, like, like another check on the to-do list. Like, don't forget to write in your journal. And that's like fucking annoying. Like, I don't really want to write in my journal because yeah. it, because I'm supposed to. Like, I want to write in my goddamn journal because I feel like it. Yeah, um, um, and so there was a lot, there was just so much happening on the trip that I was like, I just really want to remember this. So I was writing down, it started out that I was just writing down like, today I went on a walking tour. I met blah, 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 blah. And it was like, just like, so that I could jog my memory. But then I, because I love writing, I started to be like, oh my gosh, the flood of emotions that arose when I met blah, blah, blah at the walking, you know what I mean? And, and suddenly it like started to be like a little bit more like, literary rather than just, these are the facts of what happened today. Yeah, And so taking that time and that space to slowly, slowly bring myself back to light and then to give myself the grace of, you don't need to feel guilty for anything. You needed this Every single thing that has happened in your life has brought you to these moments. And here you are as a result of your decisions and your actions and the uncontrollable circumstances of the universe. And you are going to be okay, but you have to give yourself grace and patience and love. And it was when I started to really realize how much I loved other people that I was like, why don't I see that in myself? Like, why? Why can I love literally everybody else, but I can't love myself when people are that telling is, me? Yeah. You are speaking to the fucking choir right now. Yeah. Because I've
2: been, okay, so this is like hilarious, but I've really been listening to a lot of Lizzo lately. She's so great. How could you yeah. not? The soulmate. I am a soulmate. Yeah. <laughs> I love that song. But I'm, you know, while I'm going through all of this turmoil, which the turmoil to me really hasn't. Stop since my father's death almost a year and a half ago. Like, other stupid shit has also happened that's kind of piled on top of it. Right. And so, like, lately, fast forward to like right now, I find myself struggling with depression and anxiety on a daily basis. And so, right away, whenever you have these, like, these depressive or anxious moments, you don't feel comfortable with yourself. Like, that's the immediate, like, first response. Right. Um, and then, you know, as an inquisitive person, I ask why. And I found the answer to that in a Lizzo song. <laughs> I sound like such a basic bitch right now. I love that. Wait, do no, Tell us. <laughs> There's a soulmate song where she's talking about she's her own soulmate. She knows she'll always hold herself down. Um, she looks a- up in the mirror in the morning like, damn, she's the one. And I'm like, I don't fucking feel that at all. Like, I literally, right. like, like feel the opposite of that. Right. Like, I don't want to look at myself in the mirror. I don't – this isn't necessarily how I'm feeling now, but it was, like, not even a month ago. It was, right. like, I don't feel, really like, looking at myself in the mirror. I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. I feel very sad about a lot of things. I feel like I want to push a lot of things away. I – look at my dog and I can't feel any happiness which is just like she's like the definition of happiness to me so when I'm feeling that way I'm like holy shit there's something wrong so I'm like listening to this song and in a way it's making me feel like very positive but in another way I'm like I don't have that I don't have that that self love right now and what the fuck does self-love even mean you know and and i feel like it's a very common thing for millennials to like grow around right now it's like oh self-love like right. let's experience that let's live that let's be that just be your own self right do what your gut needs to do and like right just fuck everybody else you know what i mean but you <laughs> take that in one or two ways but whatever right so um so I was like, I don't feel that. And why don't I feel that? And why do I feel like everybody else feels that way? And I don't. And A, not a lot of people do feel that way. No, it's, I was going to say that. Not a
1: lot of people feel that way at all. That's that's a big reason why I'm literally doing this podcast is because I, I came home from Europe and I was like the first time and I was like, I love life and I love everyone and don't you and everybody was like nope I really don't what the fuck are you talking about crazy lady and I was like but you should go on a trip for three months you will (laughs) but no it's 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 there's so much more than that it wasn't the trip, it was what I learned from the trip. It wasn't, like, because I took a three-month vacation. It wasn't because I went on holiday. Is That's not why I learned to love myself. It was because I faced all of the darkness. I talked about all of it. I shared it with people. Like, there's not any one prescribed way, I think, to, like, find your own Mm -hmm. love and to see your own worth that is, like, inherent because you're a human. It's not the, you know, it's not what you put out. It's not how efficient you are at your job. It's not how beautiful you are. I mean, there's, it's so hard to say this is how to find your worth, but I promise you world, everything else is better when you actively make loving yourself a practice and i yeah. think that that's what you know millennials and, and and our generation and what so many people are doing wrong is that they're just they're saying that they love themselves but then they're they're not really you yeah. know if if selfies make you feel beautiful then take fucking selfies all goddamn day long but don't be seeking outside validation for it if using the examples that we used before if cooking a meal for your family five days a week makes you feel loved and worthy and lovable and, you know, you love yourself, do that for you, not because Instagram or Facebook is going to know that you didn't cook for your kids and therefore you're a bad mom. Like it can't be guilt. You can't guilt yourself into loving yourself. You can't hate yourself into loving yourself. It has to be real. And you have to face all of that dark shit and you have to be really vulnerable and really honest with yourself. What do you find?
2: Yeah, exactly. And like you were saying, like there's lately, a lot of things have been helping me right away. Like for me, because I do have an actual like illness, I've, been shifting my medication around a little bit and I found something that works for me. Now I don't feel like a perfect person, and you right. should never look to feel like, and you, I'm sure you know this, but you should never look to feel like a perfect person with a medication. So if something makes you feel that way, it's going to be very fleeting. It's going to be fast. Right. And it's going to probably be addictive. Yes. So Right away, growing up with ad- addiction issues in my family, I've always had a sense of what it means to become addicted to something versus what is going to be giving me honest hope and joy, and not some kind of contrived hope and joy. So for me, I've learned that as a very at a very young age. That, but there are so many people out there that did that have not learned that and right. have only been really within the last few years of like my age bracket, really actually looking inside for the first time. And that is totally their experience. And I don't dog anybody for that, but my experience has been pretty different. So at an early and young age, I had to kind of survive in a way because I was struggling with a mental illness from as early as I can remember. In fourth grade, I wanted to kill myself, like in fourth grade. And I actually researched it the other day and it's actually not that uncommon for like children to have suicidal like ideations. Oh my and gosh. And for I know. And it to have for children to have those feelings. And I thought that I was literally the only one, especially when I was little. And it kind right. of became such a surprise to me that I was I was, you know, I was A doing this research at work and I'm like bumming myself out. But I also was like, I know I'm I'm researching this for a purpose because it speaks to me and my experience. Right. But so yeah, I mean like I didn't even start treating myself For depression and anxiety with medication until I was probably a junior in college, and that's when things started. It seemed like almost like magically, like things were getting better. Yeah, and I could actually like focus my thoughts. Right, and I didn't have any of those, and it was just a magical time. But since then things have kind of been in and out of a state of like, I'm good. I'm not good. I'm good. I'm not good. And I realize that that will probably be for the rest of my life. And that's something that I've had to willingly accept lately and talk about, we're talking about like vulnerable places that, that we have to go. You know, there's also, there's a vulnerability of admitting that you have a mental illness to a lot of different people, especially a whole Facebook community like I did the other day. Right. And you wouldn't believe how many people responded back to me, whether like you probably read some of the comments, but I got a lot of direct messages as well about people who I didn't even know had struggled with depression at one point or another in their lives who have chronically been struggling with it for their entire lives and what's right. worked for them and what hasn't. And it was very eye-opening to me. And so that kind of propelled me into this, my ability to, it propelled me into a state where I was like okay so if this many people can can get over it and can deal with it and like move on with their lives maybe not get over it but can deal with it and move on and like right. wake up each morning I'm not alone right and I was like these people have done the things that they probably the things that they have needed to do for themselves and I need to do things for myself and for nobody fucking else yeah and that's when it got really scary and that's when I started asking myself why don't I love myself? Yeah. It's because of this, this, and this. But really, it's it's a combination of so many different things. It's it's the wrong attitude. It's conditioned experience. So like there's, I, I love this, this one book. I read it all the time. It's called Awakening the Buddha Within by Lama Surya Das. And if you could say that one book is my Bible, it is totally that book. Yeah. It is so totally unbelievably, like, I can't even stress to you how unbelievably transformative reading one or two pages of this book is. So what is it called? It's called Awakening the Buddha Within by Awakening Lama. the Buddha Within. I yeah. have heard I, of it. Okay. Yeah. And it was written, like, I think it was written in the early 2000s. And this one dude, Lama Surya Das, is this yogi, Buddhist man, wonderful man. I think he's a monk. Yeah, he is a monk um he's a, he's a western monk though so yeah. he's got like this like he's got this like thug mentality of like tackling western problems
1: through how i feel uh, i'm i'm him in female incarnation yeah. we're like we're
2: thugs we all yeah are,
1: so. Um, so yeah i
2: mean there's this section of, of the book that i've been reading lately and it's about how the self according to Buddhist philosophy is a conglomerate of different things. And my favorite quote as of recently is that the self is like, it's like a river. And you never step into the same river twice.
1: So that's like the Pocahontas line too. <laughs> what I love most about rivers is you can't step in the same river twice.
2: Oh my God, yes. <laughs> okay, so I knew that there's a reason why that was my favorite Disney movie. Little, <laughs> <laughs> so. Back to yeah, I mean, for you. Now you know it is kind of like a trope in a in a way. You can't step into the same river. So if you think about it, the self is so different every day we are so different every day we're constantly changing so I think for me my biggest obstacle to self-love was thinking I was this like fixed determinate self every day right every day I'm gonna be anxious every day I'm gonna be depressed every day I'm gonna have the same problem every day I'm gonna it's just gonna keep getting worse and worse and worse and nothing's gonna keep getting better and better and better and that was kind of like intrinsic attitude for a while. And then I reread the book the other day and I was like, Oh my God, wait, that's not true at all. And who am I to say what's, what's going to happen like five minutes from now versus tomorrow when I wake up. Right. And so I've really been trying to, to think of, of myself as kind of, and of the human self as like a very open-ended project. And when you think of the self that way, things become, like I said, they, they become so less deterministic and possibilities kind of open up. And so there are a ton of things that I like say to myself daily to, to make things better. But lately, I just feel like I've been on a way way better track and like I said with depression and anxiety things sort of things sort of emerge depression and anxiety really kind of like I said is a train coming down the hill or whatever it happens with external events really that's that's the most important thing to remember with with mental illness is usually these these things within yourself uh, uh, these issues arise through external events so recently I was like pretty madly in love with this one guy I was dating and he completely just broke my heart one day and so that was about 2 months ago and that literally sent me through a fucking
1: whirlwind of like
2: self-deprecation.
1: You had said that that was like a super sudden thing that yeah. it was like very very unexpected. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was like a shock to my system. It was a shock to my system like physically. I lost 10 pounds. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> but <laughs> but I've also been trying to eat better and watch my calorie intake. So that's also been helping. That but anyway.
1: that too. Yeah. But stress yeah. will help. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So in a way, I'm like, okay, that wasn't that bad. But it's, it shocked <laughs> me like physically. It shocked me mentally. My mental illness sprung up out of almost like thin air, it seemed like. And it shocked me emotionally it, you know, the way he went about doing it was, was not at all mature. And it was very surprising because our entire relationship was based on this like kind of honesty and this communication. And so the way that he broke things off was completely opposite of anything that the relationship had been. We had had a beautiful day. It was a Sunday. It was perfect weather. We went out, we laid by a pool, like a community pool. We're like laughing and other people laughing ourselves, you know, whatever people do and we're just like having a good time and I was like okay so do you want to hang out later if you have time how's your assignments going because he's a PhD student and he was like I have some time to hang out later so I'll pack my bag and come over and you know we can just hang out so blah 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 two hours later I had this weird kind of sneaking anxiety that I hadn't had in a while which I thought was very interesting it was almost like my emotions were kind of like they were looking out for themselves in a weird way, but I wasn't actually like cognizant of it.
1: Right. Of it course. Yeah. Very,
2: but it's, you know, call it women's intuition, whatever yeah. you call it. But I had this intuitive force almost like strike me that, holy shit, something weird is going to happen with this yeah. relationship. And sure enough, he came over and he had his bag packed for, he had his bag packed for the night. So right away I was like, oh, he's just gonna come over. It's gonna be a fine night, whatever. It's gonna be like every night before. And he goes, I think we should stop dating each other within the first minute of him being there. And like my entire world just like went black. Yeah. Like it was like I was seeing things, but I was it was like you could almost feel and see that like palpable like darkness that we right. that you said you've kind of like worked through yourself in different contexts. But I told him to leave. I, I I couldn't say anything, you know, and then, you know, we met up in person like probably three weeks later just to kind of give the relationship the closure in person that it had deserved. And he was extremely sorry for the way he had broken things off. And I was like, there's the guy I, there's the guy I know, but, there's also this other guy that I didn't know who was, who's like living within him, which sounds really creepy. And that's like how I kind of like moved forward. I just had this like kind of, it was like, I was dating this person that I thought I knew way better than I did. And and he said he had loved me, but did he really mean it? And um, so it was just, it was very challenging to see the light of day figuratively and almost like. <laughs> Um, realistically as well. So I remember like in my worst times with that relationship, I remember being like, I don't think I can even like live without him. And the relationship was not abusive by any any terms whatsoever because I have been in a very abusive relationship, with you and I talked about a little bit. And it was not that. It was literally just like someone who you genuinely love and care for just literally being ripped from your life. Right. It almost felt like another death in a way. And so I was like, great, my dad fucking died. And then this happened. Thank you, thank you, person who I was dating for doing this wonderful thing to me right now. And maybe he just didn't have the context of understanding like what it's like to have a parent pass away, but I was still very vulnerable and emotional from that. So I, I just considered it to be like another. Another blow. And ever since then, I've really like, you can ask anybody who's close to me. I've really been like kind of just struggling to like chug along. But it wasn't until recently, like two weeks ago, that I really started like seeing the light. And I've had to also deal with the weird idea of that I once had thought that I couldn't go on without this person. Like I have to deal with that about myself. And now I'm like, it seems silly. But at the time, I was like, I wasn't going to. I surely knew myself and I knew I wasn't going to do anything stupid. But there were definitely those thoughts of like, why am I even living right now? And yeah, just like how can I why am on? I gonna live in a world where people treat each other like this? Right. And that's something that I don't necessarily feel guilty for feeling that way because it was an honest response. But at the same time I used I I did kind of feel guilty about feeling that way. once I learned that I could get back on my feet and stuff. And I was like, just I guess maybe the <laughs> Moral of like our conversation today is that you have to meet yourself where you're at, and wherever that is. Yeah, and the only person that's putting judgment onto you is actually you, and you have to kind of look behind that and be like, "Why am I putting judgment on myself for that?" And like, honesty is my mantra that I live by, and so if I'm at an honest place in my life, and it might be a scary place, but you have to. You have to allow yourself to like go to those honest dark places, and sometimes honest places can also be very bright yep. and very like beautiful. Yeah, and you just have to allow yourself to experience something bigger than yourself. So yeah, I mean that relationship like just really sucked me. Sucked me dry, <laughs> but
1: uh yeah so been getting better after that. I think that having that realization of wow I didn't actually know this person as well as I thought I think that anybody who has like an adult breakup at some point in their life like kind of has that realization because either I mean one of a few things could have happened but either like he was being dishonest the whole time yeah. and and that was the honesty at the very end or he was being honest the whole time and he was being dishonest at the end but i mean it could have been any other combination of things but i really think that like anybody who goes through an adult breakup like has that because as a kid when you're dating you're both such fucked up versions of yourself that like it's hard to even know if you're being honest or not like it it feels real and like the love is intense and passionate but like You don't fucking know anything about yourself yet or the world. And so I, I don't know, as, as hard as it is, I think that the adult breakups are so crucially important. I mean, if you're with the person that you've been with since high school or whatever, like God bless you and all the luck to your relationship. And I'm sure everything will be fine, but like, for a lot of people, I think that it's really important because you learn so much about yourself in them, and you're really just like at the beginning of it. So, however, I can support you in your writing, in your advocacy, in your breakup. Seriously, I am here like as a friend, and I would love to have you back so that we can talk about our toxic relationships because I think that that would be a oh fun God. episode. Yes. <laughs> well, a
2: thank you for the support. I really appreciate that, and I know like I see good things for both of us, and like. things for our friendship as well from this experience so thank
1: you oh thank you yeah Yeah. I'm so excited for you I mean for the like the stand-up and uh, honestly like that Facebook post really just moved me so much it was it was just so like caring and it was so clear that it was like authentic and vulnerable and truthful and it was like your truth um and and what you said before about just like opening up like that is really hard. And so, I mean, I did see like so many comments. I, that's why I commented. And then I was like, I have to DM her like immediately. And and I said the same thing to you. You said you had no idea how many people like were struggling. And I said, and I like made a joke. I made light of it first. And then I said, you know, I've struggled with anxiety and depression all of my 20s and some of my teens. And that really is like a huge reason why I wanted to have you on here. But also a huge reason why I'm, why I'm here doing the podcast too. Because I think people see a pretty smiling girl in you, in me, in any of our friends who have struggled with these things. And they just yeah. think... Oh, they're so lucky. Everything's fucking fine in their life. And I have all these problems. Like, no, we all have our problems. So I definitely want to have you back again. We'll talk about our toxic relationships next time. Um, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for coming on here. Do you have anything that like that people can reach you at? Like, do you want to share your Instagram or your Facebook or anything? Do you have a website? Do you, I should have asked you this prior
2: to right now? So, well, your answer would have been that I don't have a website, um, but I'm actually thinking about starting a blog and just starting something that people can kind of just go-to for, like, Anchorage in any way, Um, whether it's, like, through talks of, you know, toxic relationships or talks about just what it's like feeling, like, like, we talked about this a little bit before, but I want to talk about what it's like being, like, a middle-class, like, quote-unquote pretty white girl, and, like, there's so much backlash toward women in that, like, that area, Which is, like, kind of understandable because sometimes the whole pumpkin spice latte
1: thing can be, like, ridiculous. I have one waiting for me right now. But I want to see – I also haven't had sugar in, like, two months, (laughs) so I'm, like, so excited about it.
2: I want to – I just want to share with with people that, like, on the the blog that I probably will be posting but don't have information about it. Now I want to share, like, my experiences as a person. Yeah, and, and not necessarily make it about like what I look like, or you right. know, the way I was raised, or right. the class I'm in. So I want people to be able to just kind of see past those things, and and really just read my words for what they are. But anyway, so you can find me, literally on Facebook, just send me a message, a direct message. I'm totally cool with that. And then you'll just find me under Ali McIntyre, which you'll probably be posting
1: my I'll name. post it. Yeah, I'll post it in the show notes. Um, and let me know when you, when you start this. And w- honestly, whatever I can do to support you, I will. And thank you so much for being here. This was so much fun.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find me on Instagram at Liz Without a Pillow. If you loved what you listened to or know somebody that would, please share it. Screenshot the episode in the podcast app, share it to your Instagram story, and tag me. If you'd like to lend your personal support, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be so grateful. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. See you then.